0: Nice job. I like on these music stands up here, you don't know this, but they're actually labeled. This one's called the pastor's stand. I suppose if you take the wrong one, the message is going to be really bad. <laughs> as you've in your bulletin, the uh, title I picked for today was God's ways are not our ways. And uh, as you know, I always like to take the uh, simple topics and so I thought I'd talk to you a little bit about, about God today and what He means in our life. Let me start with a question Is it me, or is it as a scene at Calvary that we have our fair share of people suffering from cancer, tumors, seizures, diabetes, organ transplant needs, emotional and mental conditions, hospitalizations, children with incredible medical needs? past physical and emotional abuse, deaths in the family, financial crisis, you name it, we got it. Every week I read the bulletin and I read the prayer list. I'm a little bit overwhelmed at just how much hurt we have in our church and among our friends and our family as people send out the request that, that we go to God with these things. And I'll be honest, sometimes it doesn't seem fair, does it? We pray for little Anna who's had brain surgery, what, four years old? Eleven, still a little child. We talk about a young mother recently who was taken too soon, leaving a husband and a young child. There have been those suffering for cancer for years, and we watch them fight, and we pray for them, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight, and at the end, they succumb. And while we're excited for those who are healed, because there are plenty of that in our church, those healings can leave us even more confused, can't they? Why is one person with cancer healed and the other one not? Didn't we pray the same way? There just doesn't seem sometimes to be rhyme or reason to what's going on in our world. And because I like the easy questions, I thought that today we'd talk a little bit about that age-old subject, why do bad things happen to good people? Fortunately or unfortunately, I know a lot about this, and today I thought I would share a little bit of my soul with you and talk about what I know and kind of walk you through what I've learned in this process so we can answer this question together. How many of you remember your first prayer when you're little? First prayer, first prayer. None of you remember your first prayer? My goodness. Remember... Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Remember that one? Remember, anybody remember that one? Great. I remember my first prayer. I was five years old. It was at night. I was in a bedroom. And I prayed to God, God, don't let me wake up in the morning. Things got worse in my life from there. I actually lived in a dozen homes growing up. Some were uh, family, some were foster homes, some were complete strangers that my dad convinced to take us in when he was drinking with them in a bar. I've gone without food, I've been kicked out of homes, I've lost all my possessions, I've been homeless, been neglected in various ways, been physically and emotionally abused, and in general, pretty, had a pretty rough time between the time I was five and when I was emancipated minor at 17. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of the foster homes were okay. Matter of fact, I had a whole bunch of religion during them. See, my, my mom was Catholic, and my dad was a Jew. But dad gave up his faith years and years before, and uh, pretty much was an avowed atheist till the day he died, and proud of it. Mom became a Lutheran, I understand, somewhere in the 1950s. And I joke that Lutheran is kind of like Catholic light. (laughs) Dad went to jail, as you know, in my life several times, and the family was separated. And when that happened, I lived with the various families. One family was an Assembly of God family, where I went to church. Matter of fact, we went to church every day, except I think Thursday, and that's when the pastor came over for dinner. (laughs) That was some heavy churching. Went to uh, a Baptist church in Illinois with another family. I went through the Catholic Church twice. As a matter of fact, I am probably the only living Protestant who has been through what they call the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine or CCD. That's the uh, basically Catholic catechism for kids. I had perfect attendance. But imagine the nun's surprise when I told them as they were ushering us toward confession that I couldn't take confession. They thought, no, no, Tom, it's okay. You don't be nervous. No, you don't get it. I'm a baptized Lutheran. It turns out nuns don't have a sense of humor. (laughs) I went to four square youth events when I was a kid with some friends from high school, and I also attended church with uh, other friends of mine who went to all sorts of different churches. And through it all, the neglect, the abuse, the abandonment, the pain that I felt, I never lost my faith. However... I can tell you the diversity of my churching left me with a very skewed theology about things. I learned that bad things happen to good people because we're sinners and we suffer the consequences of our sins. I learned that bad things happen to good people because the sins of the Father are passed down to the third and fourth generations, to the sons, and so we're responsible not only for our own sins but those of the Father. I learned that bad things happen to good people because we all have crosses to bear, and God tests us. I learned that bad things happen to good people because the devil is prowling like a lion, ready to devour us, and Satan is responsible for all the bad things that happen. By the time I graduated high school, I pretty much believed that God loved me, but wouldn't hesitate to kick my butt if I stepped out of line, and and most of what I was going through was my fault anyway, or that of my father, so what the heck i got to tell you, Scripture didn't help. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, as a teenager, that's kind of like being told, Because I said so, that's why. Exodus 25, 20, verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am a God, am a jealous God. God punishing the children for the sins of their father to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Great. I guess they were right about my father. My atheist father was causing me a lot of grief because Scripture was telling me, here I go. I have to pay those sins. John 16, 33 says. In this world, you will have trouble. No kidding. Romans 3.23 says, all fall, For all have sinned and sh- fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I get this for a lifetime because I'm never going to be good enough for God, right? The entire book of Job was kind of a bummer. <laughs> right? <laughs> so here's poor Job at the end of the book. And he goes to uh, God at the end when it's all said and done. And he says, Really? what was this about? That was not even fair. And God basically says to him, who are you to question me? Even the Beatitudes say, we're going to be poor in spirit, we're going to mourn, we're going to hunger, we're going to thirst, we're going to be persecuted and reviled. Honestly, I didn't find Scripture that encouraging. Just as I remember my first prayer, I remember another one I had in high school. I was walking home late at night. Yes, I was a delinquent child, I was never home. I was out prowling around. And I prayed to God, I said, okay God, here's the deal. You can knock me down as many times as you want, but I'm always gonna get back up, you will never beat me. And that was my relationship with him. A lifetime of you knock me down, I get back up, you knock me down, I get back up, and on and on and on. My experience with God was that his ways were harsh. He was unfair. Not a hint of justice. You know, what did I ever do to deserve any of what I got except be born to the wrong parents? Why did he even make me? He had to known what I was gonna go through. Had to have. Where's the love in that, making someone who's gonna go through all that suffering? You know, it just didn't make any sense. If God is omnipotent, meaning he knows everything and is in charge of everything, like we say in our theology. And he truly loves us. Why does he allow such suffering? What is the deal? You know, and as bad as things were for me, I saw some people who got a lot worse than I did. What kind of God is this that we have? Luckily, it turns out I wasn't the first person who thought that. God probably would have smote me if I were. In the book of Habakkuk, in the first chapter... And this was written in 612 BC. 612 BC. Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Now, am I the only one here that's had that kind of life, that's thought those things? Anybody else ever thought maybe that some of this kind of is a, is a friction in your life? A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a guy named Pastor Francis Chan, And this was the guy that said that we as Christians like to submit God to our reason. Meaning that when we believe God is being unreasonable, unfair, unjust, we pretty much think we're smarter than he is and go, ah, you know, God didn't really mean that. We actually think when that happens, when we see something that's unreasonable in our estimation, we actually think God is wrong. But as Christians, we're smart enough not to say that, right? We kind of frame it differently. We say, you know what? That part of the Bible is cultural. And it was meant for the Jews and those people of the first century. He really didn't mean it for us. Or we say something like, that was society back then, but it's the 21st century. We are so much more tolerant and Christ-like that we would never put up with those injustices. That was, that was something different. Because we're We're better. But in the end, it's true, we, we submit God to our reason, just like Pastor Chan said. See, I agree with Pastor Chan, but I think there is a more to it than that. Ever since we were in the Garden of Eden, and we ate from that stupid tree, man has a need to know, to know why. Why? We need to know the reason for things around us. We need to understand in our own reasoning why God is who he is and does what he does. In part, it's part of who we are. It's our makeup. And I like to say that we're kind of like three-year-olds going around, but why, but why, but why? Now imagine, you know, you know three-year-olds drive you crazy when they do that to us. Imagine how a billion people feel to God. You know what's hard about this is it's hard to submit yourself to something you don't understand. And in our human nature, it's hard for us to submit ourselves to something with which we disagree. So how do we reconcile this fact that God's ways are not our ways? How do we trust and love and obey and submit to a God whose ways seemingly allow so much suffering in the world and honestly whose promise of a future justice seems completely worthless as we watch the injustice perpetrated in our society and our world today? Like I said, I like the easy questions. To understand why God does this, we have to first understand why the God of the universe made all of us. We have to go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Now, in fact, we have to go back before the Garden of Eden to something that took place in heaven, long before, or shortly before, Adam and Eve ate from the tree. We don't know when this happened. They're thinking somewhere, maybe around Genesis 2. But before Adam and Eve sinned, Lucifer, the archangel in heaven, sinned. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, God tells us this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Lucifer was a bad monkey. There's another scene, though, in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17. Ezekiel describes Satan's fall this way. You are the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, crystallite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, luzuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, you were prepared. You were anointed as the guardian cherub, the guardian angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, you walked among the fiery stones. From that day that you were created, you were blameless in your ways, from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. You were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. You know, theologically, we say that Adam and Eve was original sin. Ever heard that term, original sin? That's actually not right. The original sin was done by Lucifer in heaven, he was the first to rebel against God. And it was Satan later who tempts man to follow him into sin in the garden. So this is the question that always kind of I used to ask. If God knows everything, why did he make an angel who he knew would rebel? And why did he make man who he knew would follow Satan in the rebellion? It seems to me if you knew that they were both going to rebel, you'd go to plan B, right? That's what we would do. We would say, "Eh, that's a lousy plan. Let's go to plan B. But this question is the entire crux of our relationship with God and the beginning of our understanding of why bad things happen to good people. I want you to keep that question in mind. Why would God make an angel who rebelled and a man who would follow him in rebellion? I want you to keep that in mind. And I'm going to do a little exercise with you today. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, but please don't fall asleep. How many of you have heard the term free will? Oh, good, good, good. It's a little tricky, so I'm going to go through a couple pieces of it for you. I want you to close your eyes now and I want you to think of someone you've had a relationship with. Family member, spouse, friend, whomever you want. Say amen when you've picked that person. Say amen when you pick that person. Thank you. Okay, now think about how that relationship works. Think about how you communicate together. Think about what the relationship is based on, the history you have with that person. Now do this. Think about how that relationship would work if the other person could not do anything, and I mean anything, without you saying it was okay to do. What if the other person did it to you? You couldn't do a thing. You couldn't even go to the restroom unless they said it was okay. Everything you did was controlled by the other person saying it was okay to do. I know men a lot like marriage, but go with me on this. What do you think would happen to a relationship like that? Well, we all know it wouldn't work, would it? A relationship in which somebody else is directing us or we're directing them and we're controlling them would not work. And here's why. It's not a relationship, folks. It's a dictatorship. It's about control, not love. Now back to the question. Why would God make an angel and a man who he knew would rebel against him? Let me answer that by asking a question. Do you think God created you to control you? Do you think Jesus Christ is a dictator? Nope. Nope. Of course not. God made us for one purpose, and that was relationship. Let's look at what it says in Genesis 1.26. God says, "Let's make man in our image, in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth and over all creatures that move along the ground." Verse 27 says, "So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them." Notice how in verse 26, he says, "We let's make man in our own image," a plural. He didn't say, "Let's make man in my image." Let's make man in our image. And in verse 27, he turns around and says it three times. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you see the trinity in creation? Pretty cool, huh? Gets better. A little later, it says, the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let me ask you a question. In what form did God walk earth? you got three choices, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which one? (laughs) Of course, Jesus, right? See, in John, the Word became flesh, and everyone gets confused about that. They say, where was Jesus? He's right here in the garden, walking in the cool of the day. And he's calling out to his creation. He's calling out to his friends. He was calling out to the people with whom he had created to have relationship Not dictatorship. Love cannot be forced. Has anybody ever tried to force someone to love you? How'd that work out for you? Not so good. Not so good. God knows that. He made us. He knows that you can't force someone into a a loving relationship. You can't even force someone into a friendship. So when he made us, he gave us the right of free will. He said, I'm going to make you creation but you have to choose me because I'm not a dictator. It's not about control. It's about love. And if you love me, you will follow me and you will choose me. God didn't force Satan to love him. And Satan chose to follow his own pride and try to be like the most high. God didn't force Adam and Eve to love him. And they chose to follow their desires instead. Today, in the world, 2.1 billion people choose Christ. 67% of the rest of the world don't. All are free to make that decision. Love cannot be forced. God loves us and thus allows us the right to choose. So when Satan chose to rebel against God, he and a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. And Satan became the prince of this world. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel, they were kicked out of the garden, taking every generation of man with them, and even causing the earth to be cursed, according to Genesis 3.17. And this is why, my friends, bad things happen to good people. The first two sins of the world, Lucifer's and Adam and Eve's, set in motion a change of events, resulting in severe loss for mankind. Let me kind of tell you what we lost when we were kicked out of the garden. We lost our imperishable bodies. Our bodies were not originally meant to die or disease or suffer. When we lost those bodies because we were kicked out of the garden, they became fragile and susceptible to disease and death. This is why God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree, you will die. You'll have spiritual death and your bodies will no longer be imperishable. So today, what do we get because of that? Cancer, tumors, organ failure, heart attacks, arthritis, bursitis, tendinitis, all that good stuff. You name it, we get it. And it's because we now have the perishable body instead of the imperishable body that God originally intended for us. We lost our innocence. The Apostle Paul said his best in Romans 7.15 where he writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. <laughs> but what I hate, I do. Anybody feel that way? I do. Because of the fall, we have a sin nature which causes us to do things against how God wants them done. Sometimes we only hurt ourselves. Sometimes we hurt others. And sometimes others hurt us. They hurt us physically, they hurt us emotionally because our sin nature is violent and not what God intended. It gives us our selfishness. It makes us prideful. It makes us rely on ourselves instead of God. It also causes us to make bad decisions, like drinking and driving and then accidentally killing somebody. That's not of God. We make bad decisions. By losing our innocence, We've become a people who, like Paul, constantly battle the desires of the flesh and our sin nature. And, folks, we lose a lot. We lost a perfect earth. Sometimes people forget this part. Man didn't fall. Creation fell. God declared his creation good. When Adam and Eve fell, he cursed the earth, which no longer would be perfect. Instead... We have earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, drought, fires, landslides, avalanches, volcanoes. The earth is out of balance. It's not like God created it because it was cursed. When we see a tsunami hit a Japan or an Indonesia, and we wonder what the heck is going on, why did hundreds of thousands of people die? It's because the earth is out of balance. It's cursed because of the fall. And we lost our perfect relationship. See, God's original intent for us was for us to live with Him and live with each other in absolute perfect love. That's why Jesus told us that the greatest commandment, and by the way, it was said in Deuteronomy and Exodus as well, we had to love our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, And love your neighbor as yourself. That small little thing that we kind of throw out there as Christians is why God made us. To love him with all our being and to love each other like we love ourselves. That was God's plan. And we messed it up. We lost it in the fall. And now we are a fallen people in a fallen earth with fallen bodies, with fallen angels all around us, whispering in our ears all the time, trying to get us to sin. Every day, bad things happen to good people, either because one of God's children sins or God's earthly creation becomes unbalanced. So, let me ask you this. Can I go a little deeper? If you're still tracking with me, say amen. If you're still awake, say anything. Good, I got you still. Great. The next logical question is, okay, if everything's fallen and we're kind of in this position, where is God in all of this? Does God intervene or is he just sitting back waiting for the time of Christ to return and make it all better? Let me make this more personal. Does God actually listen to your prayers and answer them? Hurrah. Or is he just up there letting it kind of play itself out? Of course he listens to our prayers, but let me, let me show you something here. In John 14, verses 13-14, Scripture says, and i will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son you may ask me for anything in my name and i will do it this is where we get that in jesus' name at the end of our prayers because he's telling us to ask in his name right here's something that's interesting he says he will do it but there's a there's a caveat here we kind of forget Sometimes you say, well, I prayed in Jesus' name, but it didn't happen. What's that about? He promised me in John. Let's look at verse 14. He says that, uh, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father is glorified in the Son. So there's the catch. Jesus will do anything we ask, so long as the Father is glorified through him. Anyone remember how God is glorified? I'll give you a hint. It's in our purpose statement. Ba, 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 no, none of you, okay. God is glorified when we do his will, when we do his will. So how will Jesus glorify the Father? By doing his will. So which of our requests is Jesus going to answer? Those that glorify the Father, meaning those that are in line with the will of the Father. Now Jesus experienced some difficulty with that himself. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus tells us that he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus was scared as his time was approaching. And he wanted God to relieve him of the incredible burden and pain that he was about to face. But as he prayed and his will was take the cup, don't make me go through this. He also understood that his prayer could not be answered unless it was in the Father's will. Not mine, but thine. And just like Jesus going to the Father and submitting his will to the Father's will, that is what Jesus is saying to us. I will do anything you ask, but you need to submit your will to the Father's will. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about glorifying the Father through the Son by doing His will. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I don't always know what God's will is. Anybody out there know what it is? Because I want to see you after this so we can talk a little bit. As a church family, we've prayed for a lot of people and asked God's healing and even miracles in people's lives but we watched Les Helvey battle like a champ, but he lost his battle with cancer. We saw Joanne's Joanna's friend Cassie, this young mother, pass away, leaving a husband and a young son, and it went very quickly. We prayed unceasingly for Nancy Bledsoe, and during her years of suffering, years and years of suffering, she lost at the end. We asked God to heal those with emotional and mental conditions yeah, we don't see much improvement sometimes. We pray for the victims of abuse, violence, and other evil acts. They still happen. And we even pray for changed hearts of those who commit these crimes. But the crimes still get committed. We pray according to what Scripture teaches us. And we don't understand why those things aren't in God's will. On the other hand, we've prayed for a different group of people with incredible success nancy grabo beats cancer how about that yeah betty sturdivant was never going to see again and now she sees better than i do outstanding doug pete survives an unsurvivable car wreck what was that about it's incredible how do we know what is god's will and what is not god's will here's the hard truth sometimes we just don't know God's will in each of our lives is different, just as his plan for each one of you is different than his plan for me. Sometimes there's just no way to know what God has in store for each of us, which is why one person with cancer gets through it, and another, God has a different plan for. But here's what we do know. Our God is a God of redemption. In Romans chapter 8, 28, he tells us, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his good purpose. When those bad things happen to us, and my friends, they're going to happen, we always have to remember that God can and will make good, no matter how horrible things might seem. Here's something else we know. We live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, and we all need Jesus. We are all broken people. Not one of us is whole. If you are, come see me after this. We all need Jesus. And here's the remarkable thing on Communion Sunday we have to remember. Jesus came to this earth, to this fallen place to walk shoulder to shoulder with us so he could experience the same things that we experience so that he could reclaim what was lost in the garden. Talk about bad things happening to somebody who's a good guy. Here's what Jesus experienced. He's a baby and Herod decides to do infanticide because he's worried about this baby growing up and taking over his kingdom. So Jesus and his family have to escape to Egypt. So he's on the run from just right after being born with the threat of death on his head. He was tempted by the devil in all ways, the same as us. When he began his ministry, he was rejected in his own hometown, including by his brother James. Now realize in, in, these old, in, the, in the Old Testament and in, in those old ancient times, a town where basically everyone who was related to each other all his family rejected him. I don't know if anybody here has had that problem, but I know people who's had their family reject him, and it's painful. People gossiped about him. People lied about him. People accused him falsely. He was persecuted by the authorities unjustly and was threatened with death. One of his closest friends betrayed him. His cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered He was physically beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was abandoned by his friends. He felt abandoned by God as he took on the sins of the world. And he was murdered. Jesus has got to be the ultimate bad things happening to good people guy. Don't you think? And that's why we can turn to him. You know, we're not dealing with somebody who doesn't get it. We're not dealing with a savior who is up here saying, Oh, it's okay, little child. Uh uh-uh. uh. He has gone through what we've gone through and more. He has felt the pain we feel. He has come face to face with the realities that we face every day the injustice, the pain, the abuse. He knows because he lived it and he died for it. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul understood the lessons that we're learning today. The world has fallen. It is a dark place. But if we choose Jesus and focus on his light, no matter how many bad things befall us, and again, they will, we will not be crushed. We will not be in despair. We will not be abandoned. And we will not be destroyed. I prayed when I was a child that God would take my life. That wasn't his will. He had other plans. I didn't understand how a loving God could allow a child to suffer as I did. Now I understand that some of God's children chose against him. And their actions affected me negatively. But it was not God. He wasn't doing this to me. And during those times of abuse and suffering, God never stopped loving me. And he never abandoned me. I really did believe that God was punishing the son for the sins of the father. My father had tremendous sins, and I figured it would be just right for them to spill over because there were so many. Now I understand that God wasn't punishing me at all. I was not suffering due to, another, to, the, other, to the other sin nature. I was, I was suffering because the other sin nature. He was doing things that was causing me harm. But I wasn't suffering because God said I owed a debt to a, few, a, a past generation. And that was true. I felt that God was testing me, just trying to see how much I could take before I broke. I know now instead that God was crying from the heavens asking me to accept his love and grace. I suffered in this life, more than some, less than others. And I am ashamed to tell you, I have made others suffer due to my choosing sin as well. Why do bad things happen to good people? Not because God did it. Not because God doesn't care. Not because God is mad at us. Not because God is cruel or wrathful. Not because God is waiting to see how it all turns out. Not because God doesn't listen to our prayers. Not because God at all. Bad things happen to good people because we're fallen. It's really that simple. Here's the funny thing. God's laws are written on our heart, right? We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We love because God first loved us. God actually wants the same thing we do. You know why? Because he's the one that put it in our hearts. We cry out for justice because that's what God wants. We cry out for peace because that's what God wants. We cry out that we can love each other because that's what God wants. But because of this fall, we can't quite get there yet. Unfortunately, God's ways are not our ways. Mankind continues to submit not to God but our own collective sin nature. And while we would like God to see things the same way we do sometimes, really it's us being unreasonable, not God. This world can be brutal, but you know we can do everything through Christ who strengthens us. So, how then shall we live if we live in a fallen world and all this stuff is around us? How then shall we live as Christians? Hebrews 11 shows us the way. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. My prayer for you today is this that you are sure of the hope you have in Jesus Christ, that He is indeed, that He will indeed redeem what was lost, and that you are certain of God's will, that it is good and true. So during those hard moments of your life, that you can trust that God really is in control. And even when it doesn't seem like it, that what he is doing is reasonable and right. Amen. We are going to do a final song, right, Misty? Outstanding. If you all would stand and join, that would be outstanding.